Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men older than man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the dam. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artist from ScottArtist.com. And I'm Heather Artist from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us as we wheel in the sick one. Make her walk the plank. Minute 85, Dead Man's Chest. You're in all your sickly regalia today. Really? Yeah, you are. Look, even the subdued nature of your response tells me everything I need to know. Basically, we're in for a treat is kind of where I'm going. Really? Yeah, some quietness, just some monotone. Maybe I'll have to use the old sound effects. Good point, Scott. That's great. You know, pull out that kind of stuff again. The canned responses. Probably going to have coughs and sneezes and everything else on the podcast. Everybody loves to listen to that stuff. I don't know what to tell you. Sounds like you're underwater, though. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. No. I'm part of Davy Jones' crew. You're, yeah, exactly. In the previous minute, Scott finally shoots and scores with all that crazy symbolism talk. Yes, the white and black dice and the mother of all evil elements, the mark of the freaking beast on Davy Jones' black dice. It's like a psychic getting one prediction right and everyone forgetting the hundreds of other wrong predictions that preceded it. But yes... Oh, I think I was supposed to bring a sarcastic twist to the previous minute breakdown, but instead I tooted my own horn, metaphorically. Not euphemistically. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just a metaphorical tooting of the horn there. I think you're just trying to make me laugh, so then I cough and... Possibly. Minute 85 begins with Will Turner telling Davy Jones, you can still walk away. Jones sits down at the liar's dice table and pulls the keys from his tentacle beard, exposing it to Will. The minute ends with Davy naming his bet four fours. The Flying Dutchman crew gets a bit antsy. Will has a stern look on his face, glances down to secretly check his dice, and begins to contemplate his bid. It's kind of where we're at here. Da-da-da. Yeah, we almost need that. Will is really playing up the I'm calling you yellow act. Are you yellow? He's going in with the confidence of a guy with nothing to lose, I think. But really has everything to lose. Himself, and obviously Elizabeth. But I'm surprised Jones is so hesitant to sit down and throw the dice with Will. He doesn't want to lose his heart. I know, but I guess. I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, it's not like losing money. We are talking an actual heart. Yeah, that'd be the end of him. I mean, I guess that's possible his why rain he's like on that. The ocean. His ocean rain? Yeah. I guess that's why he's kind of hesitant about this, especially given that Will knows about the key. Means he probably knows about the chest and the heart and all that stuff. So I guess Jones should be a little concerned. It's what do you have up your sleeve here? What do you, what are you, what is your end game here, sir? 
It makes you wonder how many in the crew actually know about the chase That's in the a good heart. question. That is a good question. Because it seems like something he holds close to his heart. <laughs> He's holding his that close to his chest. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that's true because would you want your crew to know that? Because if they want to mutiny, they could easily mutiny. Exactly. Because they know the secrets. Well, I mean, bootstrap... Well, okay, we don't necessarily see it here, but that's kind of what happens. Kind of puts a wrinkle into Bootstrap's mind there, his coral-ridden mind, later on. Not that we want to spoil anything. But if Jones loses the key, he loses the ability to open the chest, which is what we heard with Rigetti, means he really won't have his out-of-chest-beating heart. But you're right, it's best not to give away the key to the chest that has your heart still. Exactly. It's never a good thing to do. Never recommended. No. Whoever you are, whether you're a tyrannical octopus ocean man ferrying souls to the other side well he's not really ferrying souls to the other side he's just keeping them all for his own use yeah but that was the intended purpose yes bootstrap two jumps in just as the dice are cast and with the same wager eternity not a hundred years because the hundred years i think came up in the script actually and not here script goes into some hundred years detail as there's multiple games being played. But that guarantees you would essentially be assimilated into the pirate ship at some point anyways. I think a yeah. hundred years or eternity, does it really matter? No. Especially if we look at Wyvern. That's probably why they just went to eternity. Maybe. Maybe they upped the game and it just really entices Jones there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if there's some rules to what's going on. Do you have to obey the captain? If you're in servitude... How come they just don't fling themselves overboard? Can you escape the servitude on the Dutchman? No. I don't think so it's either. It's like a bungee cord. It pulls you right back. Yeah, in. exactly. You jump off and you're whipped right back and then you get a whipping. You did what? Cat word of, of the tails. week? Damn it. Pirate word of the week. Yeah. I'm so discombobulated. Sounds like it. I think and I, I'm the one sick, not I think you. I even probably had it in my notes for tomorrow. Probably really? messed up my notes. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah, did. Okay, pirate word of the week. We gotta jump in. I guess we'll jump in. Wait, let's let's just finish the bootstrap discussion. Okay. Or do we bring it tomorrow then? Or I mean on Wednesday. What? Pirate word of the week. Whatever you want to do. Yeah, we'll decide. Let's see what happens. Because now if we interrupt the discussion, and I don't need it, we may not be able to even come back to the discussion now. <laughs> Why would you throw that in while we were talking about that? Because I like to point out when you miss things. You know, that's just rude. Seriously, what the hell was I talking about? What the hell was... Was I talking about bootstrap? Budgie courting the crew back on the ship. Oh, that's kind of right, yeah. Because then... Because he has to have some way of maintaining some order. He can't just have these guys going around being a mutinous kind of crew. So they have to almost obey him, I would think. Yeah. Well, they seem to all be slightly afraid of him. That's true. So if you can't get away and you can't kill yourself, then you just keep coming back. Then I guess that's reason why you don't want to upset him. But who jumps into a game like this? Talking about Bootstrap. When your son's life's on the line. Yeah, do you think Bootstrap should have checked in with Will first? See if he had a plan going on before just diving into the game? Because Bootstrap has to know that... Wait, Will is just all of a sudden interested in Liar's Dice? Is going to call out the captain and just jump in because he's bored after just being on here a day or so? Come on. He has to know that there's some kind of plan or end game here, right? Maybe, but... Fathers think differently. Well, he's 
going in with his heart. Yep. There you go. This is obviously where Will gets his spontaneous actions, though. Yeah. Like father, like son. Because it's interesting how there's this circle of saving happening here. Will wants to save Elizabeth and Bootstrap wants to save his son. It's like a little circle. Just a little one. Little one. Jack wants to save himself. As far as Bootstrap is concerned, though, eternity on the Dutchman is way more brutal than anything else Will could have possibly desired. Hands down. Yeah. I'm getting the sense that Bootstrap is just, what the hell are you doing? This is worse than anything you can come up with. Anything else you'd endure. And if anybody should know that, should be Bootstrap. The guy who's endured Aztec curses, now this, being at the bottom of the ocean tied to a cannon. Yeah. Alive, crushing pressure. I almost went into a Goonies thing there. Crushing death and grief, soaked with blood of the trespassing thief kind of thing. Yes. Okay. I know you can't seem to move on without Pirate Word of the Week, so let's do Pirate Word of the Week. It's a bit old, and if I somehow have it in my notes for tomorrow, Wednesday. Okay, repeat somehow, it. If I somehow have it in my notes for Wednesday, then yeah, we will repeat it. It'll be deja vu. Because my notes are uh, what guides me. Okay, Pirate Word of the Week. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in five, four, three, two, yar. Plague of the Sea. Hmm, Plague of the Sea. Wait, is that Pirate Word of the Week or were you just calling me out? That's what I want to know. I was calling you the Plague of the Sea. Well, no, hey, it is that's a brutal. Word of the okay. Week. I thought you're like, Plague of the Sea. You know, I'm thirsty. Can you get me some water? Because I'm sickly. But no. Your Plague of the Sea, Pirate Word of the Week. I like that. Yeah. It's a good insult. Yeah. That is it, actually appropriate for Davy Jones. Exactly. Because he really is a Plague of the Sea. There seems to be a lot of Plague of the Seas in this Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. Uh-huh. Okay, anyways, what else? What is what goes so on with that? So, characterizes the seaman as offensive. So much so that he might fairly be said to infest or blight the sea of the, or those... Who sail upon it. Sounds like a plan. I like it. Yeah. It's almost like a plague upon humanity. You're a pox upon humanity. Same thing. Yeah. And if you're a mariner of some kind, then that's where your world is. And there you go. It's upon the sea. I like it. That's like the good pirate words of the week. Ones that we can all, like I said, use for our employment. Dealing with customers, that kind of stuff. You're a plague of the sea. A plague upon the sea. Yeah. Then you kind of completely... Horn swoggled the flow of the show now. Congratulations on that because you forgot Pirate Word of the Week. That'd be you. I guess I'm just going to jump into like my next bullet point since there's like really no transition. I mean, we are talking about Plague of the Sea Jones. Maybe that's it. But as I mentioned the other day, this entire scene is staged with incredible CG effects. For the Flying Dutchman crew, that is. All kinds of close-ups, movements, twitches, eels. Things are happening here. Yeah. See something different every time I watch that minute. Oh, me too, yeah. There's so much to see in this minute. Depends where your eyes are focused on. Most of the time they're focused on the main characters here, but if you actually look away from that, you see all kinds of stuff going on. That's what I'm saying. I didn't really see the eel until I broke down the minute. I had never seen that before. I kind of feel like I sound like the Saturday Night Live ladies. You are. (laughs) Actually, what was that? They were doing like the Christmas baked goods. Something like that. Sweaty balls. Sweaty balls. Well, what's incredible is that this is one of those scenes where it was made for home video watching. And I say video is a throwback yeah. at the time. Because there's no way to process all of this in a theater. No. It seems like the holy grail of all virtual actors. 
CG characters was still being sought after at this time and even to this day. You know, I was checking out reviews and articles from 2006 because I, again, jumped in the way, way back machine. And this was on the subject of our CG kind of characters in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. And one from Entertainment Weekly started things off by saying how movies prior to Dead Man's Chest hadn't hit the mark, really. And here's a quote that I pulled because I thought it was interesting. Every time someone uses CG trickery to try creating photographically real humans, for instance, in Final Fantasy and the Polar Express, the characters wind up looking like creepy automatons with weirdly dead eyes. So true. I love Polar Express. You know that. But the, they're kind of creepy. <laughs> I mean, seriously, right? You know they're creepy, but you know I love it. It's it's kind of a weird, a weird thing. Even the elves are kind of scary. I'm just... <laughs> they actually they are scary. They are disturbing. The, the elves. elves are scary. They're, they're like not wholesome looking. Little no, elves. you don't want those elves in your they're house. They're actually kind of mean in it too. Yeah, but I can just see all these parents putting their kids to sleep for Christmas night, previously having watched Polar Express, and now they're all With scared scary of Santa elves. <laughs> and elves. And they're like, "Mom, please, let's." Uh, I'll forget the presents. Just don't have these weirdos come visit us here. Yeah, that is true. But let me get back to the quote. Meantime, in the realm of more fantastical, only vaguely humanoid characters, filmmakers have already hit the so-real-you-believe-it jackpot. The trail was blazed by a nervy experiment that didn't quite work. The widely reviled, and I hate to even bring this up, Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar! But then Peter Jackson and company far away in New Zealand picked up the baton by really nailing Gollum. Oh, yeah. But then Peter Jackson and company far away in New Zealand picked up the baton by really nailing Gollum for the Lord of the Rings films. Yeah. Using a mix of CG and performance capture done by with actor Andy Serkis. Jackson pushed the trick further in King Kong. But yeah, Gollum was kick-ass. Right. My precious. I mean, he nailed it. Because it was crazy good. Yeah. That's how I remember that. Right. And I, I sh- it's been a long time since I've watched Lord of the Rings trilogy. We should probably watch it again. For a while there, we were watching it like annually. Yeah. Or more so. Now I need to go back and check it out. Does it hold up on a 4K? That's a good question. That's what I want to know. Maybe we'll have to watch that. Because it was really good at the time. And so, yeah, does it start to fall back? I don't know. I'll have to look and then I can make that judgment. And it was possible the catalyst for a bar that was set higher for Davy Jones happened here too with that. Well, visual effects supervisor John Knowles said that to get that great CG character, you need a great actor. So he wasn't Uh, just like putting it all on the animators. Right. He was putting it on the actor and the motion capture and all that kind of stuff to be able to actually deliver the performances. I was actually watching like the behind the scenes of Davy Jones, the creation of Davy Jones. And you watch watch the actor do his, because he's just in that jumpsuit thing with all the little dots all over him. Yeah. And you watch him and his, just the way he moves and stuff, he's totally into it. Yeah, know? he even has the the motion capture tracing dots that are on his face to yeah. actually follow the expression of his mouth and his just facial features. Right. And John Knowles' crew at ILM had to invent an entirely new way of doing an established trick called, was we were just talking about motion capture. And Pirates of the Caribbean led a leap in technology on this, actually. So it's nice that uh, Pirates of the Caribbean gets some CG love for kind of pushing technology forward for movies. Yeah. It's interesting to see that. You wouldn't really think about it. I don't think most people would really think about it today. 
to, to trace it back to think, oh, that came about because of Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's yeah. Chest. Nolan Company hit upon this way to do motion capturing right on the main movie sets instead of trying to recreate all of Davy Jones's action on like these isolated blue screen sound stages. You know, basically like months after all the principal photography was finished. Yeah. That kind of thing. So they were actually doing it right there. And Entertainment Weekly then popped in with their comparison to the Star Wars prequels. And this is a quote from them too. Ever wonder why so many performances in the Star Wars prequels sound and look so stifled, so robotic? It's partly because the actors typically had nothing physical to work off of, since every part of the scenery and the CG creature supporting cast was put in later. Except some stand-ins here and there. Yeah. But that's the problem. The actors were almost always working on either physical sets or actual locations, and their fellow cast members were right there next to them, interacting in real time with them in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, or like Dead Man's Chest. And that was to keep line readings and physical bits of business much fresher. Well, you're going to feel more comfortable that way anyway, instead of being all by yourself trying to do it. (laughs) That's true. You know? Because you're going to feel like an idiot for one thing, so you're going to hold back. Don't tell me how I'm going to feel. But being there with everyone else... Well, you can play off of it better. Yeah. That's the thing. Right. Then you can actually have real reactions almost to what's being done. Any changes or any kind of these slightly perceptible, imperceptible things that are happening, you can actually react to that and then play off of it, which creates a more lifelike performance, a more real performance. And then, of course, they're working on, like, these stunning location sets or locations and sets and stuff like that. Instead of these dull blue screen stages that also made the, like, action choreography much more dynamic and allowed for photorealistic shots. Because you can imagine, they're on beaches. They're on ships in this one. They actually have, I mean, even in the first one, they had a barge that was staged to look like the Black Pearl. Yeah. But here, they actually have recreated these ships. That we talked about earlier. And as we see in the final product of the film, that worked a lot better than trying to animate a CG group from scratch. Because the FX crew, which later CGI'd each actor into their, say, fishy counterpart. Yeah. Had tremendously helpful details to work with. Because they could study the live action footage carefully to see exactly how the light should look. Exactly how the water should run off the pirates' bodies. Or how they should shift their weight while stepping into sand as they became CG figures instead of actors in suits. Yeah. That's the thing. It's helpful to have those tracking dots and stuff. Exactly. And the result, by and large, is more convincing CG character movements, which is undoubtedly the case, lighting effects too, than ever we've seen before. And that's why it was such a leap in technology with ILM here. And then Verbinski, as we know he likes to use handheld cameras, he was able to do that a lot here too. Because he could also frame close-ups that lasted a long time on screen. And then both these elements then help convince an audience they're seeing something real and off the cuff, not something staged and planned and kind of noodled to death. Yeah. Star Wars. Prequels, how dare you. And I also picked up this quote here, too. There was a lot of concern at the beginning that since we had to do tight close-ups with Davy, the CGI's would never hold up. Gore was really concerned about that. He felt nobody had done CGI's that had that kind of life you'd expect from an actual film performance by an actor. And then so, in response to that, Gore had the actors realize in the animation in Curse of the Black Pearl that we talked about, too. Yeah. That was something we talked about in season one. And they were planning to do that work here, but ILM did such a superb job at this, like, completely CG effects for the movie that they saw... 
that they went with the CGI's. So they're not even the actor's eyes here like they did in oh, the first yeah. one. So they kind of moved away from that process as they did in the first movie. But they did keep all of um, Davy Jones. What was like Nye? No, what's his name? Bill. Bill Nye. Yeah. They kept all his eye videos just in case they needed them anywhere. Yeah, I think that that's because they put actually painted around his eyes and around his mouth. So when they filmed it, they in case they had to impose it in there. Yeah. And I've seen those pictures. We should probably share that on Facebook. And this time I will actually share it when I say I'm going to share it. Will you? I don't know. Hopefully. Or is somebody going to have to come back Somebody will you? remind me. Thanks again, Cynthia, for keeping me on track. I tend to forget about that stuff afterwards. So I should do that. Cynthia is good about reminding like, hey, why did you forget again? No, she actually is really nice about it. But I can just see her rolling her eyes going, man, this guy, he promises us stuff and he never delivers it on the, the Facebook group. I always have to ask him. I know. And I try to blame it on you. You're all, but you're the one who said you're going to share it. So it's a debacle. But uh, I'll make it happen. You did try to blame it on me. Why didn't you put that up there? What are you talking about? That is what I did. I will not deny that. It's ridiculous. I was for some reason thinking. Thinking? Yeah, thinking. It's a new word. I'm thinking. No. Okay. Yeah. Let's get back to where no, we were. No. Okay. Yeah. CG. Yeah. That's that's exactly how I talk now. But they could do the super close-ups and they. They'd look real, even yeah. with the CGI's. Because it is incredible, those amazing close-ups that we're having with Davy Jones and some of the other characters. But I could see that Gore didn't want to, like, not have that eye yeah. footage in case. Yeah. In case it started to get rough, he actually wanted something that he could superimpose in there and make it right. happen. Because it is a big thing. If the eyes don't look right, it's going to be a big tell. Just like Heather. Like eyes the automaton. Because you're more robotic. Polar Express. Yeah, Polar Express. I think as we've said, breaking down this 12-year-old movie, 12 freaking years. Can you believe that? No. It still holds up rather well. Actually, damn near very well, I should say. Yeah. I mean, there's some shots that we've talked about where things get a bit fuzzy and hazy for some of the other characters. They Maybe they look a little more animated at some points. And that's usually when the focus is either broad or on somebody else and they're kind of in the background. Yeah. But ILM is incredible. And when it holds up to like higher and higher resolution televisions, you know they kicked ass at bringing Pirates to life. Right. And to think that this all goes back to Disney, like Walt Disney in a way, it's pretty incredible. It's a nice tie-in for us, too. Because <laughs> during the popularity of the silent films in the 20s and the 30s, that's the 17, no, the 1920s and 30s, the popular animated cartoons of Max Fleischer included a series where his cartoon character Coco the Clown interacted with the live world. And in a variation from this and inspired to do so was Walt Disney's first directorial efforts. And it's like years before Oswald the Lucky Rabbit was born in 27 and Mickey Mouse in 28. There was a live action animated Alice Comedies cartoon in which a young live action girl named Alice interacted with animated cartoon characters. And now it's full circle. It's like nicely done, Walt. But there's something just so magical about Disneyland and the world it created that feeds a world's imagination now. Yeah. It really does. I, I can't remember what that movie was that we watched that had Walt Disney in his early years. Remember it showed him getting started, showed those shorts that he was making. He was struggling in his small kind of studio at the time before then taking on a Disney thing. Yeah, I thought it was whole, just called Walt Disney. but I don't yeah. remember. But when I was recently getting my hair cut, yes, an obscure reference to an earlier show, probably season one, might just 
use one of my three wishes to never have to get my hair cut again. But anyways, the lady doing the trimming just started talking about going to Disneyland and was so excited about it. Going to take her niece for the first time. Just her talking about it out of the blue is that anecdotal evidence and like how pervasive Disney has seeped into our culture. Yeah. Because I love it. And that's why we have a show about pirates. Specifically more about Pirates of the Caribbean. But that's what makes it fun. And I hope it makes it fun for all the listeners out there too. Because look, one day I end on the mark of the beast. The next, my happy thoughts about Disney. Like an ode to Walt for helping start a live action movie revolution that ends up with completely CG characters that look photorealistic. Is it Walt before Mickey? Maybe it was that. Maybe that's what it was. I don't remember though, but that, that could be it. Possible. But anyways, that's all I got. Do you have anything else? That's it for me. Yeah. So let's go fly a kite. Shoot a flintlock at the same time. Let's go fly exactly. a kite. Exactly. Now we can bring in two movies. And one of those actually, or both of them, have animation and real life characters in it. Oh, very true. So there you go. Mary Poppins meets uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. So we'll be back on Wednesday. Minute 86 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, Scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling and Heather's illness to herself. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Get that right. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bildrats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.